podcast is sponsored by Zero Accounting Software, who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly. For help in getting your business digital ready, visit xero.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to the She Can She Did podcast as we round up series one with episode 20. Series two will basically be coming your way next week. I just realised that series one was dragging on a bit and was fast becoming an American sitcom with the number of episodes I was trying to squeeze in. So I decided to cut it short and end here with episode 20 and we'll start again with a clean slate next week. Anyway, I digress as always. If we haven't met yet, I'm Fee and I'm the founder of She Can She Did, which for the sake of the next hour or so means that I'm the one asking the questions throughout this chat. In today's episode, I got to chat to a 22-year-old who genuinely blew me away with her ability to push herself out of her comfort zone, battling off a whole lot of imposter syndrome in the process in order to get her business to where she wants it to be. The lady in question being Molly Masters, the intelligent, resilient and ever so humble founder of Books That Matter, the book subscription box service that aims to empower and inspire its subscribers each month that she launched as a student whilst juggling both her degree and multiple part-time jobs at the time. With endorsements from the likes of Forbes, Stylist, The Independent and The Huffington Post, a growing list of hundreds of monthly subscribers and some seriously exciting plans for the business going forward, there's something really special about what Molly's created with Books That Matter. And her experience so far provided me, as I hope it does with you, with a whole lot of useful lessons to remember going forward. As always, as I say in every podcast, I really, really hope you enjoy it. Molly, with you, we're going to get going now, my game face is on, um, I feel like Molly Masters, I feel like you're destined for greatness, that's such a good name. Oh, well my mum said that when she was pregnant with me she worked in an office and somebody, she told them what she was going to call me and they were like, oh that sounds like a writer's name. Yes, and I was so like, I, I, I couldn't have done anything but, but like it's given me so much like on my shoulders to yeah, be that yeah, yeah. You are yeah. You are going to be a, yeah. a very, very successful the, the alliteration is, Well, I hope so. Yeah. But the alliteration certainly like, sets me up. Yeah, I've, I can just read your email on the X Factor voice. Molly Masters. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I would love that. Yeah, I feel like everyone needs that intro <laughs> as they come in. Oh dear. Do you know what, Molly? Your email really stood out to me because I'm a sucker for like politeness and a well-written email and I feel like your pitch I was like oh, yeah how can you not say no to this girl like oh. you just it's so impressive what you've built oh, and I'm just you. generally like how old are you I'm 22 madness madness right let's, <laughs> let's go back to the beginning because it all started at uni didn't it yes can you talk to me about what your business is all about in your own words and where the idea came from okay so I run Books That Matter which is a best-selling book subscription box business We provide empowering and inspiring reads for women um, in themed boxes and our cheesy little motto is putting the classics of tomorrow in your hands today and so we like to inspire people through feminism, activism, books that are going to be someone's favourites. So that's, amazing. that's what we do. Did you come up with that motto? Yes. That's incredible. <laughs> like, I feel like that's like a proper like shivers one. This is what I mean. It's the words in you. You're good oh, with thanks. words. You were studying English literature, right? Yeah. So yeah. it all started at uni. I've been very involved in books, reading, literature as a whole, and I always 
knew, I didn't know what I was going to do with English literature after I finished uni. I don't think anybody knows what they're going to do when they finish uni. But I felt like I had my, my game set because I knew I'd always do literature. So I, I loved it in, at, at school and I had the most fabulous teacher in sick form. Um, and she was amazing. Um, she's retired now. I don't even think she'll be listening, but Miss Hall is just the best. Oh, and, I had a Mrs Hall English teacher, and she was just an absolute legend. English, English teachers are just the best. Yes. And so she just really, she was the best and she inspired me so much. I thought in the back of my mind I might be an English teacher, but I wasn't too sure. So I went to uni and did English literature, and I loved it. And throughout the time I was there, I did Shakespeare and all of the amazing stuff. And it kind of got to my second year when we were studying. I was doing a course called um, Sense and Sexuality or Sex and Sensibility, which was kind of a play on that yeah. book. But it was all about um, women in the 18th century who like founded feminism. And I realised when I was there that I'd never read a book by... A woman during academia. It had always been when we were in sixth form and stuff, it was Shakespeare, you know, Edward Lear, things like that. And they, they were obviously of importance, but I think I'd almost been conditioned to not have read any of the others that other people, and I didn't question it, other people who were there had already read kind of Virginia Woolf and were very established, but I hadn't. And so it kind of opened my eyes to people like Mary Wollstonecraft. We read a bit of Toni Morrison, kind of contemporary reads to complement the 18th century stuff. And my mind was just blown. It was the best year and the best term that I had and um, I decided from there that I wanted to do, I wanted to go into academia so I did, I was working two jobs at the time because I probably should preface that I was the first in my family to go to university from quite a working class family so I got in on grants and, and local funds to where I lived in Dorset which I'm so grateful for because I wouldn't have been able to go without that. Where are Dorset you from? Shaftesbury. Oh I was in Bridgeport at the weekend. Oh, yeah. Nobody ever knows where Shaftesbury is and Dorset to be, I mean, to be honest. I don't know where Shaftesbury is I just know that I was in Dorset. Oh well <laughs> it's, it's a lovely place it's yeah. very small though um and so it was really it was great to be the first to go a lot of pressure but I was working two jobs and I took on an academic some sort of it was called a JRA, a research associate programme, where I basically planned out my dissertation. I don't really know why, but it was like a year in advance, and I started um, working with academics over a summer. So I was working at Lush at the time, and I was also working at a sandwich shop, and I tutored A-level students English at the same time. Oh my God. And then in my summer, I was working on a paper about um, dystopian literature, and I just loved it. And it actually broke my heart when I got to the end of that, and it, academia was too expensive for me to go into. They now have some great loans that you can get if you want to go and do a master's, but it just wasn't there for me. And it was like, I don't know, it was a weird thing. Um, I lived with my boyfriend, and we were still together, but I lived with my boyfriend at the time, and I came home in tears because I didn't realise that once I'd, f I'd finished planning my dissertation, then the next year I wrote it, and I thought, well, the natural path is to go on to do a master's and do a PhD, but it's so grounded in elitism and even Sussex couldn't help me. There was only so much they could do. I graduated with first which gave you a discount on your master's yeah. but I just couldn't do it and I was I was so stunned because it felt like that whole path that I had set for myself was gone and mm -hmm. I was completely struck. And whilst that was all going on just before graduation there was an email that went around calling kind of business students and asking if people had entrepreneurial ideas that they wanted to pitch to a place in Brighton. And I just thought that if there was some way that I could bring feminist literature to people, dystopian literature, in the back of my mind was what I loved. Um, I was like, I really want to bring that to people. And I thought of like a blog or a network, but I just thought blogs were so like 2005. <laughs> but like I had like a million blogs when I was younger and I was like, let's do a blog. Um, and so I spoke to my boyfriend and I told him about books that matter and that was I it was just a phrase in my head it wasn't really like a coined thing yet and I was like oh should I enter my idea like it's not fully formed and I'm not a business student so I don't know why I 
everyone got this email because the literature department are not going to have anything to contribute to this. And if it wasn't for that lunch, I don't like owing things to men because <laughs> it feels like such a bad feminist thing to say that like, if it wasn't for meeting him for lunch that day, I would have already have talked myself out of the idea. Yeah. Um, sorry, I feel like I'm going on. No, yeah. God, no, not at all. I'm literally <laughs> sat here like, oh, I love this woman. Like, oh, you're amazing. You. So what, you met him for lunch and he just said, Molly, go for yeah, it. Yeah, I, I was sat in the library and I remember exactly where I was. I was on these horrible, like, high stools because it used to get so busy in the library and there was, like, little stools where you could perch with your laptop. And I got this email and I just thought, there's 10 grand on offer here for a good idea and I might have one, but it's also an answer if I don't know what I'm going to do with my passion for literature because I just didn't want to go into something which... I didn't have a passion for and yeah. it's just he's so and important. You smell at my office, yeah. Think. So I just I he happened to be on campus and I said, Should we meet for lunch? And I just in passing told him. And I'm just I used to be such a person that I would talk myself out of a million ideas if I could. And only with other people's validation could I bring them to life. And I'm not like that anymore, thankfully, and I think I've got a lot of that to owe to my business. But I really needed his validation. He was like, No, you should go for it. Like what's the worst that could happen? And that's something that cements in my mind now when I'm emailing people to be on their 100%. podcast or something like yeah, that I'm like yeah. what's the worst good that 100%. could happen and so I entered and eight months later one yeah how many months later eight months so okay. it was just whilst I was finishing off my dissertation and my final year I was also going to so it was a program called Startup Sussex which is run by the Sussex Innovation Centre in Brighton which is an, a place where they kind of nurture startups and um, businesses and there's kind of legal teams and everybody in this massive building and so they run this um, scheme where they help young entrepreneurs to bring their stuff to light so it was a great great opportunity um, and did they help I suppose throughout the course of those eight months if you went in with the idea did they help you hone it refine yeah, it so and, much yeah because it's one of those things mm. where when you said about the fact that you could quite easily talk yourself out of it that's where jumping in putting yourself out there mm. is always so worth it because people then pick it up and yeah. help you yeah and, or, or you it's those little baby steps that you're encouraged to take the minute the idea's out there in yeah. the world and suddenly, eight months later, yeah. it, it all pays off. Yeah. Literally. It was it was a really bizarre process because I was still focusing so much on my dissertation and I just felt like so weird. I was like mourning the fact that I couldn't bring like my life's work to fruition and I just decided to throw any spare time I had into Books of Matter and thinking about what I wanted to do with it. And um, two years, well, two years into my degree, I did a, um, an internship at Cosmopolitan in London. And just in passing then, I was introduced to subscription boxes. I didn't know what they were. Yeah. Didn't have a lot of disposable income back in the day, so it was just that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have bought one of those yeah. for myself. And, and um, I think we were talking about Birchbox and Glossybox. And I remember in passing saying to somebody who I was working with, oh, I wish they had one for books. And they obviously do, there's loads of them out there, but I hadn't thought of, I hadn't seen one that wasn't a household name. And so when I was in my initial meeting, we went to these big seminars every week, all the people from Startup Sussex. So I think there was well over a hundred people who got the long list and then there was pitches and then there was a short list. And then um, that was kind of like how they structured the eight months down to kind of presenting a pitch to the board who were giving the money. So it wasn't until then I had to do my pitch that I then um, honed in my idea that Startup Sussex, they did a, um, a specific seminar just for women as well, which I found was really impactful in that year because they realise that so many women drop out when they realise they have to pitch in front of 100 people mm. and like I was just telling you about my fears of presenting in front of people I'm I was terrible about it I think I'm getting there now but the confidence is still something that I struggle with and I had to pitch my idea so I thought about turning it into a subscription box 
started collating this massive folder of ideas and um, my pitch was terrible. I just completely, it, I felt like I'd screwed it all up. I just what, stood why? there. I stood there and I couldn't say anything. There was like a hundred, I was the second person to pitch in front of like loads of people and a very, very charismatic boy had just pitched before me and I thought I can't, oh, can't yeah. match that energy. There's always one, isn't there? There's always remember, one. <laughs> tell you what, I remember a year 12. Oh, Ooh, I'm so sorry. It's all right. <laughs> I remember year 12, the leadership thing, for just for school council, so nothing mm. big. And there was five of us from each form in year 12 went for it and it was I was the only girl and then all the boys mm. and the boy that I followed my speech was like I put the time and effort into it yeah and the boy that won as he was walking on stage he hadn't prepared anything he fell over oh he gosh. literally slipped and everyone was laughing it was hilarious but he, he got it because yeah. it's just so funny and like you can't follow the fu- like you, can, you can't you know, know. funny thing it's always just um there's, there's something for you just it was crazy I didn't think that I was even going to get in and the process was that I planned my pitch I had it on note cards everybody else didn't seem to have note cards I, <laughs> I had loads I mean I've got like a notebook in front of me now but I had my note cards ready for every prompt and we only had maybe 60 seconds or no probably more than that maybe th- three minutes I think yeah. to pitch our idea and I'd made sure that if my pitch was going to be crap I had a board of the slides behind me where I set up my website I had a landing page I was trying to prove to people that I created a brand not just an idea yeah. but I just remember wasting a few what felt thousands of seconds just staring and I thought oh my god I just want to leave I just need to leave at the moment and I kind of spluttered out my pitch and tried to lock eyes with um, this one woman who had been giving me loads of support Dr Chloe Peacock who's actually my business mentor now and um, I just kept locking eyes with her telling her my idea I was cut off because I'd got I'd run over the time and I was just like oh botched it haven't I and then I just kept in my head, I was like, I've just wasted loads of weeks going for this and like it's going to be the same as my, as the academia stuff, I'm not going to get it. Um, and so as soon as I finished, I just, I didn't mean to be rude, I just thought I can't sit here and pretend that I'm not going to burst into tears. Yeah. And I just left. And um, I was like, I'm never going back because I just can't. It was so embarrassing and I just thought, who do I think I am because all these people are from the business school. Um, the opportunity was open to everybody but I just thought there's obviously a reason why I don't do this and Chloe followed me out and she was like you did great you did yourself proud please don't feel like you didn't and I was like oh god there's like there's no way they're going to put me through and she was like no the idea stands alone even if your words didn't um and she just tried to she she's the best at just giving me like a reality check but a good one And, and so she just said you need like I can't remember exactly what she said but she was so reassuring and she just said you've done really really well and please do come back and then I was put through to the second round I couldn't believe it and then there was just again like loads of kind of one-to-ones with your mentor and I had Chloe as my mentor I kind of knew it was going to happen because she was like one of the only women on the board and like we seemed to have a connection and um, then we were just gearing up for pitches and had to they gave us loads of support for like creating a business plan and how to run a business because I had no idea I was like I don't know why I'm here but it seemed to be exciting and I love learning something new I honestly take my hat off to you, Molly, because I just feel like you can see kind of when you're talking about it how much fear and like <laughs> you had in that yeah. that situation. I just think you still did it, and that's the Thank thing you. where I 
because I relate to that so much like there's mm. so many things that have scared me in my life but you just grit your teeth and do it anyway you have and to, like yeah. that's the thing but so many people don't and that's mm. where I'm like good on you oh thank like, you and it obviously as you know you went on and won it that's yeah. insane how did that feel um well I was the first female winner which, which was, was crazy and it well not crazy it should happen more yes. but it was it, well when you <laughs> look on that you have to like it, it was, I was like, like oh, celebration yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> take one for the team yeah and I was just it <laughs> we um, are grateful I know <laughs> <laughs> but it was just it was it was wild. I just remember we had this big ceremony, which felt so weird. I must mention, now that you said someone fell over, I fell over in my pitch to the big judge boardroom. Oh. I tripped over my own bloody shoe. Oh my god. They had these things, this clicker for the slides, and I just, I felt like my brain just was like, there was like a, a monkey with symbols, and I was yeah. just, I tripped over my own shoe, and I was like, and I hadn't even started talking, mm. but I managed to turn it into a joke, and I was like, I'm much more capable than I look. And um, <laughs> I just gave them my pitch. I really refined it, and Chloe and everyone at the Innovation Centre, they continue to be, but they were back then so supportive. They knew exactly what my fears were. They told me how to act, how to pitch. I came in for practice pitches. Yeah. I think they, they did that for other applicants as well, but they were really nurturing people. So even if they didn't win as much money as they wanted mm. or they didn't win at all, they had the business plan, they had the know-how and they had the idea to go yeah. and pitch to somebody else. And um, I think like what you said about making a joke of you like falling over, that's the key that I've learned since the whole public speaking thing is that there's a freedom mm. when you realise that you can make a joke yeah. of things. So like if the mic isn't working, yeah. you just talk a bit louder. Yeah. You know, all of these different things or you like I remember talking um, in the opening remarks at the min the first ever mingle and my mouth just all the saliva went in the first ten <laughs> seconds. Oh my but God. everyone was on my side and it yeah, was like yeah. I literally just stopped. I had a glass of water and I was fine. But you laugh it off yeah. and now I just can I think you make can, a joke of it. It's said so frivolously, but you are your own worst enemy and you're yeah, often ridiculing yourself in your head much more than anybody will be if you just make a joke about it because that exudes confidence. If you stand away from it and you kind of become a bit if you kind of go into yourself because you made a mistake or you tripped mm -hmm. over, then you show that you're you're shy or you're vulnerable and if you're doing public and you're speaking, willing you have to, to give in to yeah, you have to be scared of. Yeah, yeah, um, which is a baptism of fire that I've learned. But it's just so much better to kind of if you make a mistake, just own it because it's so much better than reach to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about the actual setup then. So you win the grant. Mm. I'm interested in what those early days of books of matter look like pre-winning that money of course. Yeah. How you established the brand, how you got the word out there. Mm. Obviously it's not a business until customers are you know yeah, yeah. paying for it. Talk to me about that. So well, after Startup Sussex I had to hand in my dissertation and then um, throughout the whole process as soon as I'd done my first pitch I had my website and I basically unknowingly started a pre-launch campaign because I started on my social media and I was introduced to this whole concept of bookstagram. I had no idea this was community thriving when so many people were telling me like, your business won't work, nobody wants that, ebooks. And I'm just like, shut up about ebooks. Like yeah, they're yeah. fine, they're great, but books aren't lying. Like, book. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're still there. And um, so I was just bowled away that there was such a great space and loads of women coming together to, to talk about feminism, books, things that they love. And it was, quite organic in terms of I can't recall kind of going into so much research that 
I was feeling overwhelmed by it. I just was posting books. I asked people to um, uh, nominate books that they loved or I think we had like a hashtag books that mattered to me right back in the day, which really got people talking and people shared photos of themselves with their favourite book. We had someone's grandma send in a photo of her with her favourite book. It just snowballed and so by the time I had won the grant, I think we were at 2,000 followers. And um, when we launched the product in July, so I think I won the grant in May, and then there was June when I kind of submitted my dissertation and had to graduate and stuff like that. And then this is last year, I believe, before. Um, last year, yeah. <clears throat> then I kind of had the uh, website up and running, which was just done by me, complete botched job, but it worked. <laughs> and um, we just did a pre-release sales to see what was going to happen. And I was convinced hundred would be enough. And Chloe pushed me to two. I remember phoning her on the day when I had like the button in front of me, and she was like, "Just launch two hundred sales. Nothing's going to go wrong." I kind of confirmed all the stock um, that we needed, and then those were going to go out in September. It was just a trial to see how many we would be able to sell and we sold out in two days, all of them. I remember like, Amazing. I was I was like in tears because I just thought I can't believe people want this product because my phone was just pinging and pinging and I had loads of orders. I think we sold 150 in the first day and then 50 the next. Oh my gosh, and that's incredible. It was just, it was the most life affirming thing ever because yeah. I just realised that something that I'd done had worked yeah. and even with the grant made me feel so I was so grateful but it was so much pressure again like being the first person going to uni there was a lot of pressure to yeah. constantly succeed and um, I think that doesn't ever go away especially when you know that you're in a space that isn't usually afforded to women you're yeah. not given that many opportunities if you fail you're done yeah. and I was like if I fail are they going to take my money away is nobody going to buy my product mm -hmm. what happens then and just having all of those notifications it's so true great. you know I it just I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about how when you are your own, when you put that level of pressure on yourself, because mm. I don't know about you, I know deep down that I can do something if I work hard enough for it. Yeah. But then there's another layer on top of me that then doubts what if I'm not good enough. Yeah. And it's that kind of knowing, no, I can do it. But then you have those little things going, oh, you know, you haven't, you haven't prepared enough, or you haven't done this, you haven't yeah. done that. We really can be your own worst enemy. Yeah. Or your biggest advocate. Yeah, or your biggest advocate, and you decide what you're going to yeah. be. And it sounds so woo-woo if you say it out loud, but you know, you kind of step into that and accept the fact that you are good enough. Mm. It's like, oh shit. I know. Now the world's a bit oh, different. I, I just yeah. realised. <laughs> <laughs> you have permission to hold back. <laughs> but no, it's, it's hilarious. I think that's the whole thing that I've been unlearning this year. The, one of the biggest things amongst, obviously, business-related lessons is the fact that, like, I've been my biggest critic for no reason. I've been giving myself a hard time for no reason, mm -hmm. and that has held me back massively in ways that I never thought would impact my business, and they have, because yeah. my decision-making has been completely transpired by myself telling me that I'm going to fail or, like, I'm not going to be good enough or you know, this would be so much better in the hands of somebody more capable, more aware. And it's like, why don't we allow ourselves to learn and grow more? Oh my gosh, hugely. And you know, there's if there's one thing that all of these interviews have taught me, it's that, and it, it, you hear it all the time, but it's so true. Every single business owner is making up as they go. Exactly. No one yes. knows everything. Yes. And it's, it's just so like, comforting to know yeah. that. <laughs> and it's so the minute you accept that, it's like, oh shit, I'm mm. so allowed to feel this yeah. way because everyone else is. Yeah. I don't know everything, nor does anyone else. No, it's no. absolutely fine. And you teach yourself. It's and crazy. you can't, one thing that I'm going to go on and on about the Innovation Centre and Chloe um, Peacock. I'm getting that you like she, the Chloe girl. Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> I want I to meet her. She's she, great. She's so clued up. And I mean, clued up is an understatement for somebody who's like an actual doctor yeah. of, of <laughs> but she is, yeah she's great and the one thing that she um 
taught me was, it, as a business owner, you can't do everything, you're not built to do everything. Yeah. So you can't be an innovator, a creator, an, a, an accountant, mm. a, a lawyer. You can't do all of those things, so that's where once you've got the money and the know-how, the outsourcing is the best thing that you can do because I've just spent about 11 months of the business box packing in my spare time and I've just outsourced that and it's completely liberated yeah, me. Yeah. I was just like, there's so many things you can do um, once you do have that money. I know it's a, it's a privilege to be able to do that. But yeah. I think in terms of knowing how far your um, capacity of knowledge can take you, it doesn't mean that you're failing because I felt like I was failing because I wasn't sure how to do monthly reports at first and I wasn't sure how to record things and I didn't know who to turn to because I didn't have that many people in my life who'd run a business or like nobody in my immediate circle. It was just Chloe and the people at the Innovation Centre yeah. and I couldn't keep emailing them every day because that yeah. would just be wrong. Um, Chloe, <laughs> I'm just like, hi, um, you remember you gave me this money? I don't know. Um, but it was just, it was scary and I felt like I was failing but it's also like you can't step into the shoes of everything. You're not like an octopus, you can't do everything all at once. It's so true. So It's a little bitch, isn't it? That you, The fact that you, you do need money to outsource. Oh, yes. right, and no, I kind of actually say that because I've gone both ways in the sense that there's certain things that I know full well. I'm raising investment at the moment and I'm working with such amazing three women and on value exchanges at the moment with the brands that when I get the investment, all of the meetings investors, they are part of the team. Mm. So it's like it pay off eventually and there's like trust mm. there, we're all good. But then there's other things like um, help with emails. They're the kind of things that I can outsource now yeah. that I've got help with. It's not an extortionate amount of money. Exactly. Whereas the help with investor yeah. stuff, if they charge what they normally charge, yeah. I can't afford it. So no. there's ways around it. But I do think you're so right outsourcing. It. Taking that jump is different for different things because as soon as I realised I didn't need to have the know-how of an accountant and I outsourced, and luckily the money that I got was, half of it was to set up the business and half of it was deductible on services from the Innovation Centre. So it was all about kind of like giving you the money to outsource the things that you needed to, whether it was help with marketing, help with accountancy. That's um, so it was a really big help and it just took that pressure off because I showed them my inane um, sheets that I've been making for monthly reports and they were like, you do not need to do this because this must be so time consuming because I was breaking down everything penny by penny, yeah. month by month and they were like, don't waste your time, you have an accountant now, just send the invoices and what you can. Yeah. And that was extremely liberating for me because I felt like I had to work at like a hundred thousand yeah. miles an hour doing everything I could possibly do. But then when I took the step of fulfillment, the reason why I'd taken a long time to do that was, it, again, it was similar to you. It is a large amount of money. And I spoke to like 15 different fulfillment centres before I agreed on the one that I wanted because that's the only way I get to interact with my customers apart from online, the physical product. If I don't pack it and I don't see it, yeah. it's like letting go of my baby. Yeah, it's like, so I need to make sure that they look great and that they feel like a gift every time they come through someone's box. And you, you obviously mentioned you've just come back from, um, we're here in London, so you've come and met the publishers this morning. Yeah. How did you get them on board? Was that a case of old calling, LinkedIn, yeah, email, it, contacts, like how? Yeah, it's um, it was really crazy how it all kind of, it didn't fall into place, I'm so liberal with that. But it, I worked really hard, and none of it was oh, that. I today so. what money? Like I'm again so many vibes that you work hard. <laughs> I get you worried. It's just like 
it, otherwise really you tell yourself that it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, that fell into place, or I was lucky that yeah, happened. It's like, no, I it took weeks. When people say, I got lucky with that, I'm like, no, there's a lot of work that yeah. also aimed at that. Yeah, right. so one of the first things that I used my money for was to go to the, oh, I always forget the name, the London Book Fair. So I went there and I didn't realise you had to book meetings with publishers way in advance at the book fair. So I arrived with like my tote bag and <laughs> Learning a of the day. And I was like, I'd like a meeting Number with Penguin, please. And like, that didn't happen. But luckily, I think almost hopefully the same as you, people took pity, well, not you liked my email, but I think people took pity on me because I definitely had come with a load of expectation mm. and I didn't know how it worked and it wasn't through lack of research, I knew exactly what was going on, I just didn't realise you had to book meetings and people just took me in, like I was like could I just spare five minutes to tell you what I'm doing because if you don't get those relationships with publishers then you have to go through wholesalers and the markup is a lot more and also less of the money goes to the authors and to the publishing house yeah. which is something so ingrained in our ethos to do and so I was like if you don't get the right relationship with them then you don't have a book subscription box, you just have a box yeah. and you need that and so I managed to just create some good um, some good connections with people that I met there, followed everything up with emails, I just relentlessly email people and I hate myself for it but it works and I try and be polite with everybody and the thing is even if you're relentlessly emailing I offer them boxes, yeah. I'm just like call me if you need anything and it's harboured some great relationship with publishers that I have admired for a lifetime so I get to work with Penguin, HarperCollins, Bloomsbury, Fourth Estate, which is a domination of HarperCollins, Workers Books, and just have the most amazing contacts. And they then, if you've got somebody there who likes you and likes what you do, they give you a good discount. And they also let you record with their authors and go into their amazing publishing houses, yeah. which have like floor to ceiling bookshelves. And it's just like every, <laughs> <It's> like <heaven. laughs> every book world's dream. I don't yeah. leave for a good hour yeah, yeah. until I've looked through all the books, but it's just it's great and I never thought that I would ever have those opportunities because mm -hmm. I can't, it's, I feel like I don't reflect enough on the opportunities that come my way and the same for you, like you've created those for yourself, mm -hmm. nobody else has put that on a silver platter for you, you've yeah, gone yeah. out and earned it and it's just like sometimes you, I spend so much time answering emails that I don't think, God this is something that I'm really really proud to do. Yeah, so true, I was just thinking that I, it was, she came, she did her second birthday yesterday. Oh, and I literally was, <laughs> 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 no, I was just thinking like shit this time two years ago I literally just sat in my flat and didn't mm. have a clue what I was doing yeah I didn't have a single contact no. and it's like okay let's go for you've it you've created everything yourself yeah, and like mad. in the early days and this is not about me I just realised like, <laughs> can you just tell me how great I am <laughs> no but I know where you're coming from yeah. you sometimes have to stop look back and because think shit I've really the day to day is so overpowering yeah. and it's like you know when you're not kind of on Hootsuite or like doing mindless things that keep your business ticking over, you don't take a step back. And it's not until those really big moments that you realise how it great you connect to Yeah, and like I started off in a spare room in our flat in Bristol and we just moved. I had two friends, Noelia and Jack, who came, I met What's them name? Noelia. Oh my god, I love that name. Yeah, Noelia. Well, she'll be listening because she best be. <laughs> but yeah, like, about how <laughs> I met them maybe for two weeks at Lush, yeah. and they were just the most supportive. They're like my best friends in Bristol now. I moved to Bristol, by the way, from Brighton with no friends, and I had no idea what I did that. As soon as I moved, I was like, huh, why? Um, <laughs> but Brighton was too expensive, and my family's in Dorset, which isn't too far away, so my boyfriend and I wanted to move closer to friends and family, but still be in a city. And um, I did everything up my spare room in our tiny, tiny flat and my friends were there and um, we boxed up those 200 sales that we got 
and we carried them down three flights of stairs and like the Royal Mail took them and that felt like the best day ever and then from then on we then the, immediately the next month we got a storage unit which was outdoors so whatever the weather we were there packing night or day and it was freezing we started in September and then I remember being in the in the storage unit in November and it was absolutely blowing a gale raining and I had like this tiny little lantern that I had from Poundland in the in the store <laughs> like there's no wi-fi no electric oh nothing. we're the olden days stuff yeah I, I was but it was it was what we could afford yeah. and that was only a year ago and now we have a lovely office in Bristol and it's just great I'm like sat here I'm so inspired oh, by you. you I'm literally like I haven't I don't get to talk through the step by step so yeah. often but it's really nice to share that with someone no that's incredible and I just think it's where the passion part of it comes into play mm. because I actually interviewed someone this morning and she had a similar story of like something drastically you know something like that where you're really tested but I just think mm. when you are freezing your bum off for your business outside yeah. that's where you have to really give a shit about your yeah. business like, I was packing the boxes like people better fucking like this yeah, box yeah, I was yeah. just like <laughs> you don't buy this I don't like this notebook I'm gonna <laughs> I was just like yeah. at my wits end but there's just something that drives you yeah. because you have to and also and it's where your it gut was, instinct comes into play yeah like, this is gonna pay off yeah. one day and I wasn't full time until um, February this year I was still yeah. working full time at a company I will not name but um it was terrible it was i had had so many jobs so many horrible jobs and when i moved to bristol it was just i was at such a vulnerable point when i really didn't need for somebody to kind of like really quash my confidence and my self-esteem and i and that was where like i've got my notes for like the reality behind the scenes bit um so i feel like that links to that but when i was doing all of this i i feel proud because i don't know what kept me going because i had a job where people would constantly tell me that i was worthless to them that they would fire me and i was like i've just gone through uni i have an amazing business and i get talked to like a piece of shit mm -hmm. and I tried so hard to connect with people that I was working with, but it, my transition to going full time and having this wonderful office really wasn't as amazing as I thought it was going to be because I just ha I wasn't I didn't have leaving drinks with lovely managers and lovely co-workers. Mm. I walked out the door and quit because I simply couldn't take any more. Yeah. And so it surprised me how much resilience perhaps you have as a female founder when you really care about your business. Because I thought it would have been so easy to just give up everything then because I had no faith in myself. I had no faith that anything was going to work, even though the numbers were growing exponentially every day I went into work my full-time job I felt like a piece of shit basically mm. and it was horrible to have that like really glowing business where you got to meet authors and amazing yeah. people put the face on smile yeah, and it yeah, was great yeah. but then you'd go to work the next day and somebody would shout at you because you weren't making enough sales and it was just like such a juxtaposition and it was something that I was not prepared for in the slightest but in as much as I hadn't I didn't have that triumphant moment of going full-time it makes me feel so lucky for what I have now because again you've created that for yourself mm. but it was such a difficult a difficult time to kind of keep going through mm. and kind of like to find the I didn't have that long term kind of promise that everything was going to be okay. It was really weird. It was a weird time. Yeah, definitely. And I, I personally saw you had to go through that. That sounds like <laughs> an, oh, horrendous. I do think though that's where again I'm going to keep saying it. When you know deep down that an idea is good, mm. even when it might not seem at the time, I think there was something inside you. Yeah. I don't know you very well, but I feel like there must have been something inside you being like, I'm yeah. not in this job forever. Yeah, I can do that. It's almost that kind of like you know it's almost like an unconditional kind of not like unconditional love I guess it is but it's that passion and that drive because you don't have to say it out loud or to feel it no. in yourself but you kind of just know that it's worth sticking around for 100%. um 
So resilience. Resilience is key. <laughs> I think, did I just try and wink at you? I can't wink for shit. I, I think so I just like, clip. yeah, <laughs> I think it's part wink, part clip, part like really strange look on my face. Was, I can only imagine what you just witnessed. It was, it was great. I enjoyed yeah. it. I think. <laughs> 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 Do you know what? Funny story. I remember we used to have this really long corridor in our, my old school, my secondary school. And I must have been in about year nine or ten. And it was mid-lesson. I think I must have nipped out to the loo or something. And the corridor was empty and there was a boy in the air above walking down the corridor towards me. And I was walking towards him. And he winked at me. And my face went into a spasm. Because I didn't, I wasn't expecting it. And I was like, the listeners aren't going to know what I'm doing right now. But I literally must have been like... <laughs> I'm trying to wink back. I was just horrendous. I remember just being like walking away from him, being like, "Oh, I pulled that one up." Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was it's not obviously a skill you maybe don't need. No, well, it's true. But I think I've learned to embrace it. Yeah. About those flaws, you know, public speaking, <laughs> embrace it. Embrace it when it goes wrong. Yeah. So anyway, I digress. This podcast is sponsored by Zero Accounting Software, who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly. For help in getting your business digital ready visit xero.com let's talk challenges okay what did you struggle most with if it's kind of still is the early days but i feel like you've got so many accomplishments already like but uh, you know what what have the biggest challenges looked like for you since day one and how have they kind of evolved throughout Mm. the process i think what i've kind of just said about the going full-time that was really hard um because i was forced into doing it and it wasn't that kind of like triumphant moment that I thought I was going to have. But I'd say that like obviously when I was at uni juggling everything, that was difficult because it was two really demanding jobs and planning lessons and tutoring A-level students and trying to get my dissertation done and trying to wrap my head around doing a business plan and starting a business and doing the pre-launch campaign and stuff. And the thing is, is it's like, I appreciate that with your podcast, you talk about like the real stuff behind it, because when I was at uni, my mental health was rock bottom. And like during uni, just before this, I did get stress induced shingles, which like only old people get. And it was terrifying because I thought I'd never taken into account how much your um, body can manifest your stress. If you Mm. feel like I'm not stressed, I'm not stressed, I'm not stressed. And it's just like- It always finds ways of showing itself. Yeah. Like I get terrible migraines and slowing down has been one of the challenges because Mm. I think when you love your business, you feel like you are your business and it need there needs to be that separation. And for a while I felt like that was optional and it's definitely not. Mm. And I guess I, I wrote down like a little anecdote about one of like the worst days in the business, which turned out to be a good day. Um, Noelia probably still has like PTSD from this day. We were in, it was October, we were in the storage unit, the fateful storage unit, and um, because there were only tight deadlines that I had in between my full-time job, usually things arrived like a day before we were going to pack everything, Mm. and it got to that day to pack up the October boxes. They had to go out tomorrow because I was working like a full week, and it just had to happen, and they weren't here. And I phoned the um, storage centre, and they were like, no, they haven't been delivered, and so I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning drive outside of Bristol to the DPD depot and go and collect what was then only half of the shipment of boxes 
The rest of them somehow turned up at the storage unit later that day. I had to pick up Noelia because she had given up her time to come and help me, which was so great because like those friends did it out of the kindness of their hearts, which mm. was really lovely. And before all of the boxes had arrived, we basically packaged up everything in tissue paper, but without a box, so everything was kind of stacked, ready to go in the boxes. It was chaos, it was sheer chaos, and we didn't have enough stickers, the manufacturer hadn't sent us enough, and I was just at breaking point because it was like only my first like couple of months of doing it, and I was like, good lord, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> and I just, it was all of those external factors, and because we were running on such tight deadlines, then the Royal Mail van showed up and we'd not pack anything, and I was just like, I cried so much that day and I remember I think Noelia was like let's put on some music and she put on September by Earth and Fire and I burst into tears and I think she has a video on her phone of me like crying to Earth and Fire <laughs> and I can't listen to it anymore it's like if it's I listen to that back. song I I just was like it's it's such a visceral experience that I was just yeah. like it was it was iconic just like crying in an outdoor storage unit packing boxes I feel like they're the best memories for the Earth because they're the ones where it was so funny yeah, it's like it was look, so look, funny look, I don't know it puts it all into perspective doesn't it and yeah. I also think challenges like that that's always an absolute bull egg when you have to rely on other, other people. people and I felt like yeah. it was my fault yeah, and I was yeah. like why didn't I do this why didn't I do it's that the it's the burden of being external the one in charge factors, of the, yeah. the, the business owner is an absolute yeah. nightmare yeah. But I guess is that kind of you're more prepared for it now or I think just... it's just I just roll with it better yeah. and like one of my little mottos at the moment is like or it has been since then is that I make the deadline, therefore the deadline is flexible. So yeah. if something's late then the boxes have to go out this afternoon. They'll go out tomorrow because I haven't announced it to my subscribers, they're not waiting with bated breath. Yeah. And they're not gonna like kill me if they don't get there tomorrow it's little things like that when you're in a small team and you run everything that you just have to say like look nobody's going to die if this happens or nothing terrible is going to happen if I push this back or I say no to this I think saying no has been a big thing as well like when you have so much on your plate sometimes you just have to you have to turn things down and you have to basically just rejig your schedule and it took me a long time to realise that I wasn't working at the mercy of everyone else's deadlines. It was my deadline. Yeah. It was like, I was like, for God's sake, it's my business. I need to take control of that. But that goes back to being the perfectionist and wanting to be yeah. doubting yourself and all of that. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, hang on a second. No, I and can't I, hold the reins Yeah, there. I think yeah. it's difficult as well when you, I don't know about you, but because I loved university so much and I loved school, I had a real moment in my business where I felt like I unraveled why I was finding it really difficult. Around the time of like Christmas time we got features in like Stylist and Forbes and uh, everything. There was all of my favourite publications covered us. And Hang on, let's get this list up because it's oh. quite an impressive <laughs> one. Which you did mention in your oh, very you. well worded oh, thanks. Um, email. <laughs> let's set up a screenshot earlier. The Independent, Stylist, Forbes, The Huffington Post and The Evening Standard. Yeah. I'm like, damn, girl. It's quite a lot. I'm, and I was really proud of that. But monthly subscribers in yeah. under a year. Like, that's just amazing. Thanks. But it was just amazing. so... Around that Christmas time, I... We amazing. Were doing our, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just amazing. I remember reading it being like, who is this girl? Like, oh, I thanks. want to meet her. It was, wow. it was just a weird time because we were putting on a birthday, like a launch party thing um, in London. And I felt weird because I felt nothing and I felt like if I got featured in all of those magazines and I had all these amazing opportunities, I would feel forever grateful, yeah, I'd feel yeah. proud, I'd feel excited and I felt nothing and it was simply because I was so I was so busy and I wasn't taking the time to validate myself and I think it's because of going through years of rigorous education where you have other people, you have grades 
affirming your your kind of your, they will validate you and your your peers validate you and your teachers validate you that I was so kind of uh, I can't think of the word I was so used to having people validate me and that was how I kind of fulfilled myself I was like right my teacher has given me an A I did well or this person told me I'm doing okay I can go to sleep at night but I think when you're a business owner you have to find ways to validate yourself so that you can sleep at night because otherwise I just wasn't I was constantly running myself ragged and I just thought like the difference between working for someone else and working for yourself is that you have to goal set and you have to give yourself an affirmation when you reach that goal because otherwise it's just endless mm. and nobody's there to validate you hugely and um, like those it's so true that you have to celebrate the little wins but it's so easy to say that and not do exactly and it was all of those things true. we got all of them through the post and, yeah. and these are people we didn't even reach out to like stylist Forbes and everybody came to us yeah. and I was like I didn't even I was so grateful of course to those people but I just didn't see it for what it was because it was such a weird time and I just didn't feel like those were small wins but I didn't take the time to sit down and mm. think fucking hell like that's great I was in Forbes like yeah. that's oh, do you know what money like I it's uh, I was in Forbes about three or four weeks ago maybe no a bit longer six weeks ago maybe mm. it was a Friday afternoon hadn't got a clue it was coming oh my god and I just got a tweet from the journalist that wrote the article tagging Can she had she did in it and I looked at it and I was like what and oh. I clicked on it and I and and I'm so like you. I pictured that I wanted to be in Forbes you want for it so hard. long, and then it happened. And it was like I'm oh. so proud of it yeah. now. When I think about it, I'm like God. I'm really when proud you of say that. out loud. But it's, I did definitely didn't take that in. Like, that's the thing, like, I didn't, isn't it? I was just like I was so stressed at the time, like or busy. Yeah. That I just felt like oh, yeah. yeah I'm, Whereas yeah. when my boyfriend is at work and he tells me about like their levels of promotion and stuff, and if they do something great, like people kind of like get heralded in the office mm. and like. It's you get a bonus. Yeah, exactly. And people, people kind of really make a big deal of it. Whereas you don't really make a big deal of yourself when you run a business because it's the day to day. Yeah. And it's so easy how those really big milestones that you want to kind of bring to fruition when they happen, it can feel really like okay, on to the next thing. Yeah. Because you just have to get on with it. But I think celebrating those little wins has been a big learning curve as well. Yeah, I love that. boyfriend let's talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about him on this female podcast let's talk about me yeah. <laughs> oh I could talk all day honey um, no let's have a thing um, yeah. <laughs> don't knock the love oh, I'm sorry I'm not isn't it do you know what my nice. ex bought me this and I'm just over to this day I remember saying to him I was like you could have put my full name I was going to say pathetic. like fee doesn't work I need the whole name because yeah. otherwise it's just so pointless Surname I'm me. still grateful you know? yeah. it's, it's a great bottle what was I going to say yeah boyfriend you've mentioned your two friends in Bristol given that you've mentioned you were the first to go to uni from a working class family how has your relationship with your family and friends evolved throughout this whole process what's their mm. attitude been like towards the business and have you seen any friendships relationships go either way yeah I think when I started the business because potentially I was known by I have a very big family as like the, the, one. The, well no just like somebody who was I would always told everyone I was going to be a writer and mm. I'm, if that meant academic or teacher or whatever just within that vicinity so people were like you're starting business like how long is this going to last really yeah. and um, I'd always been one to do like little projects and I had done lots of charity work and I'd done lots of blogs and things tried, like dipped my toe in a lot of things that I cared about and I just felt like it confirmed my anxiety that maybe people didn't take it seriously my mum did and like my close family did but I had a lot of scrutiny from male members of family because the word feminism is such a buzzword I think mm. it's 
so important just to stop putting that on somebody as like this monstrous thing yeah, to identify yourself with. Like, I know, but it's just like it's all come down here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it just felt like I. It was my first lesson in affirming myself that I hadn't really taken note of because my housemates thought it was a bad idea. My members of members of family thought it was a bad idea. Well, not a bad idea. They were just like. I was gonna buy that. Like, yeah. it was really disheartening, but at the same time, moving to Bristol was such a scary thing. But I have the best friends now. I, I never thought I'd meet people like that who would give up their spare time to help me, who would encourage me when I'm at my worst points because I just didn't have that at uni. I was so focused, I didn't have time for it, and I felt like that's maybe something that I missed out on because I was busy working and I was busy doing loads of stuff that social life wasn't a priority mm. and um, it just feel it feels like I have a really strong group of friends around me now and so it's important. yeah my mum's such a bookworm as well so like I send her a box most months if I think she's gonna like it um, but <laughs> if, she, if you don't is she like oh, she works she works on? in a school so she's like got no time so I'm like mum you up with this month's reading she's like I'm in February's box and I'm just like god it's like nearly nearly September um, but she she's been my biggest advocate yeah. and I couldn't thank her enough like mm -hmm. I get so emotional when I talk about my mum because if it wasn't for her and the way that she kind of sacrificed herself in a way for her for her children in terms of like she was because she worked at schools and she was a childminder for a lot of our lives she was there every step of the way so anything that we wanted to do we we did it and she took us to um chatterbooks this like little library book club that me and my sister went to which really like she knew that we had interests in reading and she made sure that she nurtured that with any time that she had mm -hmm. left in the day when she wasn't working and doing twilight shifts at supermarkets and stuff and it's just like to have a role model of somebody who has such resilience I think is where I can channel my own and I think that's really important and yeah. so her and you know my sister as well my sister does literature at university so she's always interested in what I'm doing and it's lovely to have such strong women in my life mm. to turn to and obviously not forgetting the boyfriend but yeah, yeah. and him too he's yeah, alright yeah. well we're going to be celebrating our five year anniversary Aww. next next week so it's been and it's been such a tough time because going through uni together um, which was kind of unplanned but it just happened it was a really hard time and like to basically I feel like he has put up with me through a lot like through lots of mental health stuff through all of these twists and turns mm -hmm. I'm not a like easy person to be around sometimes because I'm a workaholic yeah. and I think you do have to be if you're going to start up your own business but I do think that, that is a very very strong indication of the like a, a, a really good relationship that you yeah. can grow because you clearly have grown in such like monumental steps yeah. in the past five years that he he's come a long way yeah. for that journey. I and I think amazing. I was listening to and that you want him to be around. For that yeah, journey. yeah. It's such a he's such an important person in my life, and we've celebrated so many milestones together. Like we met when we were 16, 17 so we've been through so much, and. I was listening to Alice Benham's podcast the other day about how, I think it was one that she was talking to somebody else about their experiences of earning money quite young. Mm -hmm. And something really struck me when they were saying about there's, there's no point having success if you have nobody to share it with, which is so like strikingly obvious, but it's just something that really hits home because I realized that quite early on, I was like sacrificing a lot of time to be on my own, working on my business. And that's just, not the way I want to work so I kind of decided that I would give myself weekends I would try and spare an evening mm. when I can but there, it can become quite all-consuming and time apart from like my boyfriend and also family as well you, you need that time yeah, to yeah. be on your own sometimes otherwise I think you can become very miserable mm. if you're just working on 
the bare bones of a business. Like obviously something that's very fulfilling is social media, interacting with customers and things like that. But just spending all your time alone can be really hard. And that's what I found was like a really big um, difficulty when I first got my office because it was just me. I was spending maybe seven hours a day all alone every day of the week. And it was, it made me go like, okay. Yeah, I was really, I was upset all the time because I was like, I have gone from a job which I hated, but at least I was interacting yeah, with people every day. At least they were horrible people. Yeah, it was like, at least someone was saying something to me, <laughs> even if it was You're horrible. <laughs> but it, I was, it, was so, it was so weird to be on my own all the time. Yeah. And so having those relationships now, which you've just got to make time for them, you've got to nurture them. And it's a real pleasure to have those people so close in my life now, because when I was in Brighton, it was a different story. And it was hard to see people who live so far away, but... It's crazy, I'm such a big believer in the fact that it all does happen for a reason like that yeah you were scared to go to Bristol but now I don't know it always figures itself out I yeah think, when you're open yeah. to it no I love that and what does downtime look like then because you obviously you've just mentioned that you make sure you do have some time yeah. each week what do you do when you need to just relax Molly what does downtime look like <laughs> well it's kind of difficult because my hobby is reading, reading. <laughs> That's so, true. so even if I tried so hard when yeah, I left uh, uni to like <laughs> I was like everybody every literature student that leaves uni they're like no more Ulysses time for me to read what I want to read and then you have your pen and your highlighter in your hand you're like oh what a good quote and then you I'm like trying to plan essays and I'm like oh my god I can't just shut off and read a book so I realized that when I read it's always for the business, it's always for a future box because I like reading feminist literature, which is something that goes into the box. So that is downtime, but also I recognise that it's not the best downtime. I write a lot, which is kind of a separation. So I'm working on a novel at the moment, which brings me a lot of joy to be able to have that flexibility in my like working life now. If I want to take a day to just write because I feel like inspiration has struck and nothing too disastrous is going to happen if I take mm -hmm. a day. It's quite nice to be able to do that or to have evenings and afternoons or, you know, just to write my novel because that's it's always been a goal of mine, which I think I'll continue. Molly Masters. Oh, She's thank you. Be, <laughs> you say I did it. <laughs> Fiona has spoken. <laughs> but <Logic>. it's, <laughs> no, it's but just it's such a big goal of mine that I feel certain I can still achieve whilst running a business. But I think amongst that, I do a lot of swimming now, which like I stopped doing because my asthma got really bad, but I, I decided to start going swimming and it's a great way to have downtime because I started going to the gym, but I read emails whilst I was on the treadmill. Mm. And it was kind of inescapable. I was like, oh wow, I can do two things at once. And it's like, no, that's no, not downtime. No. That's, that's like exercising and working. And yeah. That's that's the recipe for a heart attack right there. Yeah. So I was like... Seriously, like I said, <laughs> I work out most mornings and my phone is just, that's yeah. my time. I'm like not exactly. even Exactly, it's hard. It's yeah. hard. So swimming, you physically cannot take your phone into a pool. Very true. Yeah, so it's... It, it was that was a really great thing that I did for myself and it felt really empowering because after years of having lots of stress eczema like I have a lot of scars and I'm not I'm not happy with how I look most of the time but it was so empowering to be like you know what this is for me if anybody wants to look then they should be focusing on their swimming I'm just going to get in the pool and have a great time and it was really great and I do that as much as I can at least twice a week now for the record you're beautiful so let's oh, thank just you. don't be silly but it's just it's hard to get over your own yeah, insecurities absolutely um, and so that had held me back for a long time swimming's quite a nice one I've thought about that a lot because I've um, I have had some really interesting conversations when it comes to exercise about how it's only recently that I've really learned to like listen to my body in the sense mm. that I run a lot I do hit, like for me a hip exercise the high intensity when I'm sweating loads that to me is the best stress relief but actually it's um 
adrenaline and like your body can't distinguish between stress, bad adrenaline really? and like good adrenaline. Wow. And so I wake up and I do these high intensity things and so it's basically just I'm stressing stress. from 6.30 oh. and it's like you need to listen to your body sometimes yeah. and swimming is like the perfect one. I do Pilates. It's, yeah, you just... Exercise is important and it's difficult when I have asthma to do it and mm-hmm. not to be physically exerting because earlier on this year I was having like near constant like really bad asthma attacks and you know you never want to be too like over dramatic but asthma attacks can be life threatening yeah. if they get too bad and so I just thought like cardio in terms of like in a gym space is probably not for me but Lewis and I go on a lot of walks Bristol is the most beautiful place mm-hmm. and um I yeah. do love going there for the mingles oh it's, it's so meeting. great but I mean more I say all of those things but more often than not downtime is watching Jane the Virgin with my cat yes girl bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that's just it's, that's what it looks like because I think just having those stolen moments of like I'm just gonna watch tv for an hour yeah I think I read somebody's tweet the other day that was like whenever you look at like a job application and it says that you get like 28 days holiday it always seems so little but like how many founders take 28 days off no. I can't remember the last day no. if I had no. I didn't even take off that much time at Christmas yeah and it was just like you you never take time off honest so to god like that 28 days so would be beautiful <laughs> 28 days and straight also, yeah, to actually switch off though because I feel yes. like even when I have days off it's still it's still you're something you can like yeah. it's kind of I am um, I actually have my first few days off this week it was my birthday on last week and mm-hmm. I took Thursday, Friday and Monday off yeah. around the weekend um, and obviously took the week I normally work on Saturdays as well so took the weekend off and genuinely really good at not checking my emails because mm-hmm. I didn't I mean I checked them but I didn't answer them yeah. um, but it's just a constant presence you run a business and to me it, it stays with me yeah. all the time there's a constant underlying when you go back you've got a lot to do for you oh and it's God, kind it of is. like and it's just that, you don't think yeah. about that I don't think when you productivity don't can be really toxic mm-hmm. and that's something that I've dealt with throughout my whole life in terms of always juggling a job and academia and it's that thing that even when I have downtime like when I take a day off I have it taking over my mind that like you have a lot to do tomorrow you have so much to do like you could be doing this right now or like if you waste two hours I don't know sometimes I just re-watch friends and it's like well you could have two hours of emails what the fuck are you doing with your life and it's sometimes it's that difficulty and I have that all the time when I was revising when I was working or if I took an extra shift to you know pay a bill or something I'd be like well you know you need the money but you could have been revising and it would be like if you fail it's only your fault and like I still have that now and I found that is something that I'm continuing to work through and it's something that I really need I think it's tied with your mental health as well Mm -hmm. in terms of how much you can switch off and how much you put on yourself in terms of your productivity because you can't be a robot you can't do everything nine to five every day of the week that is why yeah before we started this I said I love Love Island because I could get home at quarter to nine and nine to ten I was absolutely I was done like, yeah. no work that no. was my every day and I'm gutted yeah. it's over every day because that forced me to be like Love Island's on I'm not working it's not that I work up that. until 9 o'clock but like for me that was the yeah. ultimate switch yeah. off I did switch off yeah. in that hour talking of switching off as well like something that I did only like a couple of months ago was I had to unfollow people who promoted kind of all like glorified like not burnout but really really intense schedules being like I get up at 6am like do my emails while I'm watching TV what are you doing today and it's like that's hard you earn 6 million dollars literally and it's like I don't know what that was I'm sorry it was great it was better than a wink that was a dodgy wink um, but it's, yeah, it's difficult because like I said when even just so much has changed in a year I 
do feel like I internalise a lot of what other people say. Mm -hmm. And if someone tells me that they're working more than me, I'm like, right, time to step up. Yeah. Everything else goes on the back burner because this person is... I was like, I can't believe that some people that I was following were like, I get up at 6.30 and I work till 10. And yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I guess this is 6.30, but I don't start working until like half eight I've done that exercise yeah. and stuff. And it's like, just yeah. get sleep, girl. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to sleep, go to That's, bed, take a shower. And like, like, have your evening, oh god, don't get yeah. started on the shower. Bloody love a good scrub. Yeah. Get and it all just, off, shake it oh, off for the day. Washing so my good. hair, it's therapeutic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I shaved my legs this morning, I felt like a brand new woman. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I'm so silky smooth. That was what the round it up then with future plans where do you see books that matters going so with some confidence i can say that we're diversifying which um obviously the main priority at the moment is keeping our subscribers going and my little goal in my head which i'm not putting too much pressure on myself for is like a thousand subscribers a month by the end of the year which seems crazy but once i hit that i'm gonna celebrate like a man what are you on now 700. Nearly 700 every yeah. month. So, yeah, yeah. And that's like difficult to be consistent because it swaps and changes every month. Um, and you've got to satisfy what everyone wants with the themes, so but it's great. So I'm really proud of that. And then we're expanding our podcast and our merchandise range, um, you know, in time for Christmas, so people can get some like bookish feminist gifts. But we are diversifying. We're starting a book matter for kids called Strong Girls Book Club, which I'm so like excited about because it's come much earlier than it was in my five year plan of like how quickly we're diversified. But every person I've spoken to has said like, which I'm proud, there's nothing like Books of Matter, which I feel really, really happy with. But there really isn't that many book subscription boxes out there for young girls, especially, mm. but kids at all. Like, no. I can't find them. And yeah. I'm like, I feel really, really happy with being somebody to innovate that. And, and it fills me with a lot of hope that, like, there are people like you really pushing that. Because I worry, like, I'm not a, a mum and I don't plan to be anytime soon, mm. but I do want to be a mum one day. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I just really worry about kids growing up in, like, the iPad world. Yeah. That, like, I don't want to sound, I'm turning into my dad, but, like, <laughs> I do think there's something so important about teaching yeah. little kids to reach for yeah. a book. And that internalised, I mean, I could go on forever about internalised <laughs> but in terms of, like, the bare bones of feminism, if people are uncomfortable with it they don't even have to call it that at first but I would like to think that I or my business or my brand can put a book into the hands of a young girl so she doesn't grow up doubting herself so she doesn't grow up scared to talk to people yeah. so she goes on and she doesn't kind of worry about people who tell her that maybe her business idea isn't going to work or nobody's going to like her graduate thesis it's like she believes in herself exactly mm -hmm. and that it's so powerful it, there is a real disparity between generations right now and I think in not just the technology plays a part as well I think there's a lot of opportunity there and that's why I think that like books are so important because you don't read them and not absorb the message and that's why I think that it's so important to have a book in your hands that has the capacity, I mean it seems, sounds so cheesy, but that has the capacity to change your worldview and to think like, oh I know a little bit more about that person now or somebody from that culture or that race or I can identify with that character, mm -hmm. here's how they healed themselves or here's how they challenged themselves and grew and I can do that as well. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I have never, like, I mean there's a few books that I haven't liked, but I always walk away from a book and feel inspired in one way or another. And so to bring that to younger people as well as older people now is going to be great. There's just so much potential with bringing books that matter into people's lives. Love that. Yeah. I mean, like, in as, in as much as a phrase, not just my brand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you sure? Trademark. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs>
then I'm going to start with some sentence beginnings. Okay. Does that make sense? And I I'll, so. That's not a well-worded phrase, but we'll roll with it. Um, and I'd like you to finish. Okay. So number one, being my own boss means? I think that being my own boss means flexibility, which we've already spoken about because I'm a strong believer that that kind of Victorian 9 to 5, we're not built for that, no, no human is. Um, so I think flexibility to see your friends and your family and to follow your passions outside of your working life. Um, is important but one of the most important things for me is um, is creativity because I think if you've got your own business you're able to put into motion whatever you want and that's such an amazing thing to do mm. and I feel really inspired by just being able to do that every day to think like I want to do a children's subscription book now so I'll just go ahead and do it yeah. and yeah I'm really proud to be able to do that for myself and to be able to carve your way through kind of a given structure or an industry, which especially for my female listeners to this and for female founders, we've come a long way, but industries still shut out women and there's a gender disparity, there's a pay gap and it's not built for us. So to be able to make your way and to innovate it and to create it for yourself is amazing. So that's what I love about doing it. Love that. Okay. Number, <laughs> number two, when it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to... She's got the notes out. <laughs> don't hate me. I don't know. That's a lot of notes, girl. Oh, I... So, I've already said about the kind of like, I make the deadlines and the deadlines are flexible, so I kind of tell myself that if things aren't going to plan, because if you're working to other people's schedules, like deliveries and stuff, it's, yeah, it's always going to be difficult to control what other people are doing. So if things don't arrive on time, I try not to give myself a hard time. But also, I think that going back to the drawing board is a really, really good way to work. I get really excited and fired up by like innovation and kind of creating something disruptive. And so if I feel like things are going a bit flat or if there's, a, there's it's always a key, if I don't feel excited about it, then my subscribers aren't going to feel excited about it. Yeah. And so earlier this year when I felt a bit flat after everything had happened with the job and things just felt a bit like, mm, and I was like, okay, I'm going to revamp my website, my podcast, my branding, um, my payment platform, everything. And so some of that is is kind of come to speed now and we've got the podcast that's completely rebranded and it's on all of like, you know, iTunes and Spotify and all that. Yeah. But also the branding, just going back to the drawing board and thinking like, this needs to be exciting all the time and if it's not then something needs to change. And like so that's something that I like doing. Yeah, it's really good. Number three, if I could go back to day one of my business I'd tell myself. Oh, quit the shit job. You're much better yeah. than that. Absolutely. Um, Toxic yes. environment. It yes. just never ever ends well, does that's it? A per that's like personal to me. But Suck I think off the any, toxic people. Yeah, if, well, I think, yeah, there's a lesson in that for everybody. If someone makes you feel shit, don't talk to them. Don't have them in your life. Don't allow anybody to make you feel inferior without your consent. And that doesn't necessarily mean you kind of invite people into your life and you're like, hit me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, if somebody's making you feel terrible, don't allow them to do it again. Like, give them their last chance and be on your way. But also, I think that I would say, like, worry less, create more. I think the most important thing, if you're a creative business owner or any business owner, is that you're the best person to be doing that. You're the best person to bring yourself to the business. So if you're concerned about something and you have the means to delegate, delegate what's giving you so much stress. Because once I delegated the fulfillment and certain aspects which were giving me so much fear, it wasn't just stress, it was like, I was so fearful of things that I might be doing wrong. Now I can spend all my time doing what I love and 
that just feels so precious. So I think that's a lesson that I maybe would have wanted to factor into my business plan more in terms of like, what do I want to do and what don't I want to do? And I might not be able to unlock that immediately, but it's a goal set to kind of like offload what you don't like doing onto people who actually do like doing it and do it for a living. Absolutely, so true. <laughs> if um, I could describe myself as a businesswoman, I'd say that I am. Resilient, I'd like to think. Um, I love that. Determined. Um, resourceful and creative as well and I think we should all be more proud of what we create for ourselves because until you take a step back you don't realise how much your business is a product of you and and that's a really precious thing. I feel like you've come at the right time. Oh, I'm, just like, I'm just like <laughs> taking everything you're saying here and I just love it. And very lastly, um, Molly, I want my. Le- I feel like there's going to be a good one coming from you. Um, so much pressure. I, don't know, so I feel like this Molly Masters, she's got a legacy. Oh, no. um, I want my legacy to be that. I want to, and I'll hold myself to account for this. So make a god. Oh god, it's out there in the world now. <laughs> I want to make a real impact on people's lives and what they read and in the publishing world for women because I know that in creating an industry like mine or like you know like the businesses I have we're providing sales for people who are publishing books and the more we buy books by women the more books that will be published by women and the more we can take over the world I'm joking (laughs) we can encourage people to be part of an industry that wasn't built for them. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's not a feminist song, I've given it a bad name already. But I think that there's, you know, in the 18th century people used to write under male names and it hasn't come much further in terms of like the spaces for women. So I want that to be a legacy, but also just to empower and inspire people through books and to champion feminism. The two together can really change the world for the better and insight and perspective and compassion that we can get through a good through a good story or a good book just has the capacity to change everything and so that's what I want my legacy to be. I feel like you give me goosebumps. I literally love oh, that thanks. one Molly. That was so good. Thank you. Oh thank you so much for having me. No, don't be silly. Podcast guest experience. Really? Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> nailed it. All those um, notes paid off. Oh my god, no. <laughs> the notes. <laughs> to be fair, you didn't I was watching you, you didn't I feel like you looked at them maybe two or three times. It was so, so a lot of notes not to look yeah. at. Well it was just because I was on the train, had two hours to kill and I was like, mm. I just need I like you, I write it down, it seems in my head. Because otherwise yeah. I would have come here and drawn a blank. So I think the notes were more for me to think about it on the way and have something at the forefront of my mind Absolutely. because if I didn't yeah. write it down or think about it, I would have been there like uh, and then you'd get home and be like, damn I should have no, said that. No I know, I feel yeah. like I said most of the things that I wanted to say. And I hope that you thought it was good and she loved it. Thank you for listening to She Can, She Did. If you fancy being a complete star and doing your good deed for the day, please feel free to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes to give the She Can, She Did series a little boost and help others to find it. You can also attend the Midweek Mingles, the She Can, She Did event series for female founders and aspiring female business owners, featuring a whole lot of business inspiration and the all-important GNTs in equal measure. For more information and to book your ticket, head to www.shecanshedid.com. I would love to see you there.